Well, tonight, as most of you are aware, is the uh, final um, night of these uh, midweek services for this year, and uh, I uh, am going to miss these times we've had together. But at the same time, I know, I just am confident that the Lord gave us a time frame to work in, and I'm not only comfortable with that, but I'm excited about the fact that uh, during the month of August on Wednesday evenings, we're going to be able to offer to you um, some training in personal evangelism led by uh, Don Gilman. And we'll be meeting at the same time at 7.30 right here. There won't be children's uh, ministries or uh, child care offered, however. But uh, it will be a good time of training, teaching, and preparing. And uh, it, this is not in any way necessarily con connected with uh, SOS San Francisco, um, nor is Don going to uh, put you in vans and drop you off in some <laughs> street corner and say, here's your homework. You know, it's not going to be anything like that. But uh, just, uh, to ta just to receive of the experience and of the... Uh, gift that God has given to us in this man and in his wife and uh, see if, if the Lord might not uh, cause us to be encouraged to be better uh, or more effective more available to sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors better equipped that's probably the thing that causes us to uh, some of us to resist opening our mouths and sharing our faith with other people is just we're afraid we don't know how and this could be a way that uh, this can be a way that the Lord could minister to you in that and set you free in that so take advantage of it and then beyond that point in September again we will begin our uh, system of home group meetings throughout the various areas and I'm looking forward with great anticipation to that I miss it and I miss that uh, uh, close fellowship and we've got some good things that the Lord has, has given to us by way of strategy this year and uh, I'm looking forward to unveiling that to you later. But uh, tonight we come into the home stretch here in Romans, uh, Romans, the book of Romans, coming to Romans chapter 16. And this is a chapter that uh, a lot of times we skip over because it sounds like um, uh, greetings of people that we know nothing about. Uh, uh, kind of like the closing of this letter that really is is uh, beyond the teaching or the instruction of the epistle. But that's not true at all. In fact, there's some very precious things for us to see in this final chapter. So I don't want to skip over it, but I want us to take a look at it verse by verse. There's some things here that uh, we see right off. The fact that there's 35 people mentioned here by name and others um, who are alluded to indicate to us that uh, the Apostle Paul though he'd never been to the city of Rome, had in that city many friends. People who had met him in other parts of the world and had then moved on to Rome and had established the church there. And that's how Paul came to be the, the apostle who had established that church in Rome, though he'd never been there, was by means of, of people that he had taught and trained in other parts of the world. Then beyond that, uh, there are people who um, are people who are mentioned here who have uh, house churches, groupings of people that uh, meet together in their homes to worship the Lord. 
um, several times it'll talk about uh, a greet so-and-so and his house or the church that meets in their house and you get a picture of what was going on in the early church in those days how a family would come to know Jesus and they'd open up the doors of their home and invite their friends and neighbors to come hey listen to what's happened to me and they would assemble together and share the good things of the Lord they'd pray they'd have enjoy fellowship together and uh, that's how the gospel spread so rapidly through the world to by the end of the uh, apostolic era it had touched every it had touched the whole known world the gospel had penetrated the whole known world and uh, so there's some real exciting things here to see one of the, the things that you'll find is that several women are mentioned in fact there's eight of the 35 of these people who are mentioned by name are women one of them is the bearer of this epistle Paul sends her and her name is Phoebe and let's begin um, with verse 1 I commend to you Phoebe our sister who is a servant of the church in Centria now Paul is writing from the city of Corinth and uh, about nine miles to the east of Corinth on the shores of the sea is a town called Centria which was Corinth's eastern seaport and so there's a sister church there and uh, sister, uh, sister Phoebe was a servant in that church and the word servant is the word deacon she was a deaconess in that church and Paul says that he wants for the people in Rome to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints obviously a, a woman coming in the in the, in a role of ministry and a role of uh, authority was something that even then was resisted in the church but you know the Lord uh, doesn't have that kind of uh, chauvinistic outlook on things in fact you know one thing that's kind of funny is you're all familiar with uh, uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee mm -hmm. I have a whole set of his commentaries and uh, that were given to me I probably wouldn't have bought them because the guy doesn't share some of the views that I do on some on some areas of scripture but I have come to really appreciate him as a man of the word because I've I have used them I've used those commentaries so I uh, what I have to say now is not derogatory in any means in fact it's gonna it's gonna show this man's wisdom but um, he he is a real uh, conservative hard-nosed type of guy and you know he he doesn't pull any punches and he was asked what he thought about women preachers and he said well I hate them <laughs> so I can't stand them and see if I if I ever hear another woman preacher it will be too soon however it does not appear that God shares my opinion <laughs> and I appreciated that God doesn't share that opinion uh, women have gotten uh, maligned I believe by by people in the church who have used verses of scripture out of context and really in a very um, very demeaning way to say that women have no place of ministry in the church or in the body of Christ and that's totally false now there's some things that the Lord definitely does establish about uh, lines of authority and women are not to usurp those talks about you know that Paul at one point said that women were supposed to be silent in the church and boy people have really 
taken that scripture and stuck it to the ladies. But Paul was addressing a problem that had to do with logistics more than anything else. The fact that in the synagogue where most of them met, the uh, men and the women were separated from each other. They, they couldn't be together. Now, if you're seated next, seated, seated next to your spouse and you've got a question, you nudge them and say, what do you mean by that? But then, in order to accomplish that same thing, you'd have to yell across the room. <laughs> hey, what does he mean? <laughs> so Paul says, women, stay, keep quiet in the church. When you get home, ask your husband. That's what he says. And so Paul never meant for it to be, ladies, shut up. But it was a matter of keeping order in the church meetings. For in another place, he gives very detailed instructions about how women ought to speak with their heads covered, referring to lines of authority. Women are not to, to usurp authority over men, but they're not prohibited from ministry at all. And here's Phoebe now. She's a deaconess in the church. Paul sends her to deliver this letter to the Romans. And he says to them, Now you guys receive her in a manner that's worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now Priscilla and Aquila were Jews. This couple had been, had left Rome, they, they were originally from Rome, had left Rome um, due to the persecution that arose against Hebrews uh, in that city under Claudius. And they'd gone to Corinth, and that's where Paul first met them, was in Corinth. And they were tent makers just like he, and they uh, went into business together, or at least uh, worked together. And uh, a, a fellowship and a friendship was established that was very deep, and they became partners with Paul. We're not ever told that they were uh, teachers or preachers or uh, apostles or you know, any big shots. But throughout the pages of the New Testament, we keep bumping into this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who kept opening... All the, the main thing that they did was open their home. Everywhere they went, they had a church meeting in their house. Now, they left Corinth at, at some point, and they went to Ephesus. And while they were in Ephesus, they opened their home. And... Uh, a church was started in their home. A guy named Apollos, who was a, a dynamic preacher, came into town and quiet Aprilla, uh, Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and said, wait a minute, you need to straighten out these few areas of your doctrine. And then Apollos went on and served the Lord in mighty ways. And after a while, Priscilla and Aquila went back to uh, Rome. And now they're in Rome and Paul is writing to them and saying, greet them. They are people who have risked their neck for me. And you know, <clears throat> I have the, the privilege, uh, as, as well as a responsibility, of standing uh, before this congregation uh, time and time again and delivering the Word of God. And uh, it's, uh, that's probably the, the best part of the job, you know. Uh, but even though many of you never will do that, even though ne most of you never will stand up before a group of people and preach. Uh, I, could, I could count on you 
to be the kind of people that Priscilla and Aquila were. People who opened their home. People who weren't ashamed of the gospel. People who would risk their neck for me. And I thank God for each one of you. Priscilla and Aquila were some real superb people, in my opinion, and ev evidently in the opinion of the Apostle Paul. And he greets them. And he says, Likewise greet the church that's in their house. Back in Rome, and what do they have? A church meeting in their house. Greet my uh, beloved uh, Apenetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Achaia was um, uh, Asia, not the Asia we think of, but the Asia of the ancient world had as its main city the city of Ephesus. And uh, this guy, Apenetus, that's how you pronounce it, Apenetus, was the first believer in that region. And evidently he's now in Rome, and Paul greets him. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. We don't know who Mary is, but here's another woman who was not content to just be a bump on a log, but someone who labored in the things of Christ and served. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Now, we don't know if these people were um, husband and wife, friends, um, cousins. We don't know what their relationship is, but Paul puts them together and he says they're my kinsmen. They're related to him in some way. It may be just that they are a part, that they're Israelites, that they're from the tribe of Benjamin as he was, but it might be closer relations than that. We don't know. But uh, he says that at some point they shared a prison cell together. And a prison cell, uh, especially when you're imprisoned in the name of Jesus, is a, would be a remarkable place to develop friendship, I think, and fellowship. And uh, so that friendship, that fellowship has remained over the years. Um, and it says that they were of note among the apostles. Now, I give, there's two uh, ideas about this. First of all, that they were such uh, noted people that even the apostles respected them. You know, the twelve apostles. Or, it could mean that, the, uh, that these two, Andronicus and Junia, were counted among the apostles. And that would be interesting because Junia is a female name, a feminine name. Now that would blow some of the people like uh, Dr. McGee for a loop on it. We don't know what the answer is. I, I've read um, various ideas on it and some of the things that I've read say that, the, that um, though you can't prove it one way or another, the way that this is written in the Greek, the way that this sentence is put together tends to support the second uh, um, thing that I, the second description I gave you more than the first. But in either case, these were important people, and Paul uh, greets them. Greet Amplias, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus. Now, Urbanus, uh, it means, um, the, the name means city bread, so really it means city slicker. <laughs> greet city slicker, our fellow worker in Christ. And uh, Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. That's what his name means, approved one. Evidently, he, this was a guy who had undergone some severe testings of his faith and had come out approved. 
and so his name approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Now, we don't, Aristobulus was either a grandson of Herod the Great or a slave who took the name of his master's household. We don't know. But in any case, it's interesting because he is um, connected to the household of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was the one who, in whose reign, uh, or in the time of whose reign, Jesus Christ was born. And he was the one who ordered the murder of the infants in Bethlehem. But here's this guy connected to uh, Herod's household who's a believer. I think that's wonderful. And th we're going to find that again. There's another one here that's uh, the Herodian, my kinsman. He's also from uh, somehow connected to the household of Herod. We don't know, like I said, whether he is a you know, a direct descendant or a servant who, which they did oftentimes. The servants were so much a part of the household that they took on the name of the master. Uh, but it also says that this guy Herodian was a, a kinsman of Paul. Again, someone who uh, was an Israelite, probably of the tribe of Benjamin, maybe even closer relative than that. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. I love this. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Their names mean delicate and dainty. <laughs> and I can just picture these two ladies who uh, probably most likely were sisters. I mean, who's, how in the world are two friends going to meet whose names mean delicate and dainty unless that was by design? They probably were sisters or twins. And and uh, because they are mentioned in this way, it seems to be evident that they had never married. And yet they found the fulfillment of their life in serving Jesus, Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Um, there's all kinds of people in this list, people from every walk of life. And that's one of the things that's really precious about it, is that, you know, the gospel... Uh, is not just for one type of person, just the, uh, you know, upper middle class white people, you know. The gospel is for everybody. Here's Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis. Persis was also a woman who labored much in the Lord. Now, we, because labored is in the past tense, it's... Uh, possible that something has, you know, maybe an ailment or, or something has come upon her that is making it difficult for her to continue whatever service she was offering. But nonetheless, this was someone who Paul respected and, and wanted to greet. And for all of time, these people, you know, that uh, maybe were not great in the eyes of the world, but for all of time, these, these simple people who were believers in the Lord who are serving him and laboring him in unseen ways are forever memorialized here in this chapter. And I think it's neat because it's an, it gives us an idea of what's going on in heaven when our names are written in the book of life. And things that, you know, maybe are unseen by others don't get missed by, by Jesus. And uh, those acts of service those labors of love that you accomplish are recorded.
Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother in mine. Now, Rufus, his name means red. You know, he's probably a red-headed guy. You know how they call him, hey, red. You know, well, this is him. Hey, red. This is, Paul says, greet red, uh, chosen in the Lord and his mother in mine. Now, this is interesting. You're going to need to turn over to Mark chapter 15. Now, Mark, when he, John Mark, when he wrote his gospel, uh, most people believe that he was writing it from the city of Rome and had in mind the Roman culture. He was writing his gospel to the Roman culture, to the people of Rome primarily. And so he's telling the story of the crucifixion here. In verse 21 he says, Now they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. You remember this. Jesus uh, uh, gave out under the weight of the cross and they said, Hey, you, Red, come here. And they, uh, we don't know if he was red-headed or not. My own conjecture. But uh, Simon comes along and bears up the cross and carries it. And he's forever memorialized in the pages of Scripture and that, for that one act of service. But <clears throat> when, when Mark wanted to tell the Roman people who this guy Simon was, he said... He's the father of Rufus and Alexander. Now normally it works the other way. When somebody wants to know who I am, they say, oh, he's Jim's son. See? But evidently Rufus and Alexander were such notable men in the city of Rome that when Mark was trying to tell people in Rome who Simon was, he said, oh, he's the father of Rufus and Alexander. Now, Paul says... Greet Rufus, chosen in his mother and mine. Now, Paul is not saying that Rufus is his brother. But it's very possible that Paul had, had uh, such a, uh, an intimate relationship with this family and with the, uh, Simon's wife, Rufus and Alexander's mother, that he had come to love her and appreciate her as a mother himself. And there's some conjecture to the fact that, and he can't prove this, but to the fact that Paul or Saul from Tarsus, in order to come to uh, experience the training that he would need to become a Pharisee, came to Jerusalem to study in the temple. And while he was there, away from his family, that he may have stayed with Simon and his wife and and their boys, Rufus and Alexander, and developed the kind of relationship that is evidently being spoken to here. And if that's all true, and it's very possible that it is, isn't it interesting how the Lord ties all things together like that? Here's this man just walking by the street where Jesus was being herded up to, up to Golgotha, pressed into service to carry a man's cross, kind of an, an insignificant, sort of a chance kind of uh, situation. And yet, through, be, somehow, something gets started that results in the salvation of his two sons, at least, Rufus and Alexander, and of a young Pharisee living in his home named Saul, who became the author of the bulk of the New Testament books. 
that interesting? But you know, there's, God is not up there, uh, you know, just picking at, the, at straws. You know, he's got, he's got things under control. And the little chance things that happen in our life are, are not chance at all. If we really believe that God is who he says he is, those things are all working to his purposes in our life. Verse 14, greet uh, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with, him, with them. This evidently is another group, a house church or something. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's pause and do that now. <laughs> Any takers? <laughs> the churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. And he's, you know, he makes his, uh, he concludes his letter. You know, he's, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. And the curtain should come down and the timpani roll and it's all done. But he remembers something or somehow or another the Holy Spirit prompts him to say, oh, wait a minute. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. Now it's interesting here because he's making a distinction. In just the last couple of chapters, he's been talking about how we needed to be tolerant of different uh, views concerning matters of conduct that the Bible does not spe uh, speak specifically to. Rem remember all that? And so he says, be tolerant of each other. The guy who, who eats just vegetables, be tolerant of him. The guy who eats meat freely, be tolerant of him. So forth and so on. Be tolerant of each other on these matters of conduct that the scriptures doesn't, don't speak directly to. But when it comes to matters of doctrine, when it comes to the heart of what, what it is that we believe, there is no room for tolerance. Paul says, mark them. Don't let them get away with introducing false teaching, false doctrine. Mark them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And that's interesting to know because Paul says be wise... Be wise concerning what is good and simple concerning evil. A lot of times, especially baby Christians, fall prey to this. Uh, they, get, they get saved and they come to understand that there is a conflict in the universe between the powers of God or the forces of our God and the forces of his enemy, Satan. And they get this uh, kind of ungodly appetite for knowledge of evil. Have you ever run into somebody who is a, a relatively new Christian and who is completely absorbed with the evil in the world? Did you know what is going on in this cult or that cult? Do you know what they do in Satan, meeting, Satan worship meetings? Uh, do you know what's happening in, the, in all the gruesome details of the homosexual community and so forth? I've run into them all the time. Because they, you know, this, the, the, the world of uh, uh, the spirit is something so new to them, 
that uh, that I believe the enemy get takes advantage of that and gets their eyes focused on the evil part of the spirit world and Paul says now wait he says I know that you're obedient and that's really good but I'm saying these things because I want you to be uh, concentrating on what's good and be rather ignorant of what's evil I get the excuse a lot of times well how can I pray effectively if I don't know what they do and that's that's a deception it's a deception. You're opening your mind up for the infiltration of uh, the kingdom of darkness. So he says, be ignorant or be simple concerning evil. Wise in what is good, simple concerning evil. If you're taking notes, here's two other verses along that line. Deuteronomy 12.30 and 1 Corinthians 14.20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Whether you know all of the details about how he operates or not, God is still going to be true to his to his word and God said that the seed of the woman would crush or bruise the head of the serpent did he not and the and Paul has that plainly in view when he says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you amen he tries to, to end his letter there again and doesn't succeed Timothy because all these guys are standing around there with him he said wait a minute let me say something Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my kinsman, greet you. I, Tertius, this is the guy who's copying the letter. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. I wonder if he snuck that in without asking. <laughs> Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greet you. Just look across the page to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Gaius here now is hosting uh, Paul. He was one of Paul's first converts in the city. And as Paul is riding from the city of Corinth to the brethren in Rome, he's staying in Gaius' house. He's not staying at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> he's staying in Gaius' house. Let's see. Erastus, the treasurer of the city. You know, this is a prominent uh, civic leader here. Erastus. He's a believer. And he greets you in Rome. And Cordus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Tries to end there again. It's unsuccessful. Now to him who is able, because, you know, it's hard to go out on that kind of a note. He just had to uh, point heavenward and say, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but has now been made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God, alone, be wise, uh, alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen.